Many people are unfamiliar with the concept of God's happiness. They think, okay, God's the judge, he's up there, he sees all the sin in the world, and he's perpetually unhappy with what he's seen. Well, God is unhappy with sin, but sin in the history of the universe is the exception, not the rule. Right now, it seems like the rule because this is the world we live in. But God existed from eternity past, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in complete delight and happiness with each other. Some people say, yeah, but there's no real specific passage of scripture that talks about God's happiness. Well, what about all the ones that talk about how God delights in this and how God takes pleasure in his people and how God loves his people and and how he cares about his people and expresses his love to them. All of these imply happiness, but there are direct statements in scripture about God's happiness that that we often don't realize are there. First Timothy 1.11, for instance, Paul's talking about the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Well, to a lot of people who say the blessed God, well, that doesn't really tell you anything about God's happiness, except that the word translated blessed is that Greek word makarios, which means happy. So literally what Paul is talking about is the gospel of the happy God. That's what that means. In the time that the King James translated it, the blessed God, blessed meant happy in 1611. And you look it up in the old dictionaries, you find blessed meant happy. But it no longer means that to most people. Now it means something more like holy or sacred. Likewise, in 1 Timothy 6.15, Paul says, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Well, again, that word translated blessed is the word makarios. It really is talking about he who is the happy and only sovereign, the king of kings and lord of lords. So there are direct affirmations of God's happiness that we don't even see because the modern English translations tend to follow the King James in using the word blessed, except blessed no longer to most people means happy. But that's what the inspired word of God says, the happy God. You can't really understand the happiness of God or for that matter, the love of God without understanding that God is a trinity. He is triune. There is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God, but somehow in ways we don't understand, existing from eternity past in three persons. Three persons that actually relate to each other. So you have in the baptism of Jesus, you have the voice from heaven, um, this is my son, the beloved one in whom I am well pleased. What that means is he makes me happy. Then you have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and you've got passages that talk about Jesus rejoicing in the Holy Spirit and you've got a joy within God with the members of each other. So the Father rejoices in the Son, the Son and the Father, the Son and the Spirit, the Spirit and the Son, the Spirit and the Father. And so you have this relational element within the Godhead where they take pleasure in each other. Well, this happiness of God preceded eternally the very creation of the world. We tend to think sometimes, oh, God's happiness is dependent on whether he's happy with the world and whether he's happy with what people are doing on planet Earth. Because a lot of people are sinning, therefore God can't be happy. 
well, no, that's not true. God has always been happy from eternity past. He continues in his happiness now because the Lord God does not change. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God always will be happy. Once we get that into our minds and see that God is truly by his nature happy, that happiness is not the exception, but it's the rule within his own character, once we grasp that, then we can understand that we go to God for happiness that he can bring to us a happiness that we don't have without him. He overflows with happiness that we can derive from him. So does it really matter whether we think of God as happy? Does it matter whether we think of him as being good-natured? A lot of people think of God as good. Most people, by definition, who believe in God, certainly who believe in the God of the Bible, believe that he's good. But do we believe that he's good-natured? And why does that matter? Well, who do you want to spend time with? Do you want to spend time with people that are just critical and all the time unhappy and depressed? Don't you really enjoy being with people that are happy? They bring a light into the room when they come in. Well, that makes a huge difference. If we view God as by nature unhappy, just always ready and even eager to bring judgment and cast the lightning bolts, well, then what it's going to do is it's going to make us not do what Hebrews says, come boldly to the throne of grace, knowing that he loves us, he cares for us, that he's a gracious God, and that he's a happy God. So God's happiness makes a huge difference in whether or not we want to be with him, whether we want to go to his word. If, if going to God's word is going to make us unhappy, if it's going to make us angry, if it's going to make us upset, we're probably not motivated to go there. God's word does speak to our sin, absolutely. And, and God, yes, is a judge, but he calls upon us to confess and repent of our sins in order to come back into right relationship with him now we can enjoy his happiness. Uh, Jesus talked about standing before the Lord and one day hearing him say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your master's happiness. But we don't have to wait until we die to enter into the happiness of God. We can and should enjoy him here and now. Delight yourself in the Lord, scripture says. And because he is this God who is by nature happy, we can depend upon him to give us that happiness which he calls us to. So when he commands us, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, he never gives the command without giving the supply for the command. We can find our joy in him because he himself is a God of joy. How can God be happy with all of the sin and suffering in the world? If I say God is happy all the time, to some people that doesn't really send the right message because they may think, well, when my daughter gets leukemia, uh, when my best friend dies in a car accident, is God happy then? I mean, you certainly wouldn't want your friend to say, oh, well, no big deal. Your daughter has leukemia, your friend died in an accident. I'm just happy all the time. No, God also has sadness. He has deep concern and love for his people. 
But the difference is God knows his plan from eternity past. He knows what he intends to do. So he knows the truth beforehand that we will see in retrospect when we look back at our lives and know that he really did work everything together for our good like he promised. Just as Joseph was able to look back and say, well, yeah, I know God had an intention in these bad things that happened in my life. God knows all that right now. So God can be in heaven and look with compassion and sorrow and weep with his people and simultaneously rejoice at the great plan that he has and the things that he's doing in our life. So he rejoices with us in our joy. He sorrows with us in our sorrow. When I say Jesus was and is happy, some people question that because they say, well, wait a minute. Scripture says he was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. Yes, but the context of that is Isaiah 52, where it's talking about Jesus coming to do the work of atonement, his redemptive work, where he ends up being crushed for our transgressions and iniquities. So this would apply very specifically to that, especially 24-hour period uh, with the Garden of Gethsemane and then dying on the cross for our sins on what we now call Good Friday, but at the time felt like Bad Friday, the worst Friday there's ever been. The horrors of that day and his anticipation of that day. But that was 24 hours in the life of Jesus and how many total days did he live? Something like 12,000. That was one day. So I think to characterize his whole life by calling him the man of sorrows would be very uh, unfair and untrue to scripture. In fact, scripture tells us very clearly about the happiness of Jesus, but we often don't think about it. Hebrews 1, quoting from a psalm, says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, and it's talking specifically about the Son of God, Jesus. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. What does that mean? It means that Jesus, more than any other human being, had a gladness, a gladness that superseded that of his companions, that is, his fellow human beings. So if somebody were to ask, who's the happiest person who ever lived, even very few Christians would go immediately, or maybe ever, Jesus. But Hebrews 1, the inspired word of God, literally says he had a gladness beyond everyone else. In Acts 2, in the first uh, sermon in the apostolic church. Here's Peter, and, and he's quoting from Psalm 16. He says, David says concerning him, Jesus, I saw the Lord always before me, therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. He says, for you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. He's saying Jesus was full of gladness. And when David and the other psalmists talked about Messiah, they were talking about Jesus and they were talking about his gladness. So Psalm 1611 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Well, that passage is applied specifically to Jesus in some of these sermons. 
which means to be in the presence of God is to be in the presence of joy and to be in the presence of Jesus was to be in the presence of joy. So I think when he was with the disciples and they're sitting around a campfire, you, I can just imagine the laughter. And I think the laughter of Jesus was not more subdued, but was probably louder than anyone's laughter. And then one of the strongest passages in all scripture talking about the gladness of Jesus is another Old Testament passage. It's in Proverbs 8, where it's talking about lady wisdom, who the rabbis and many modern scholars believe is a personification of God, specifically God's son, Jesus. And this is what Jesus then, if this is him, and I believe that it is, here's what he says in Proverbs 8, 30 and 31. I was his source of joy, that is the father's source of joy, always happy in his presence, happy with the world and pleased with the human race. This is apparently God's son expressing his happiness, his gladness in his relationship with Father and no doubt Holy Spirit as well. This is a picture of Jesus we really need. Uh, my wife was leading a, a Bible study on God's happiness using some of the material uh, from my book. And she had a woman in the class say, so you're saying that God is happy. She told my wife that once she saw a picture of Jesus smiling and she thought it was blasphemy. Now, something's wrong when people grow up in the church and think that Jesus smiling would be blasphemy. Any happy person you know is not ashamed to be happy. They would want to be known as and referred to as a happy person. So let's think of Jesus that way as well. And if we don't think of him that way, it will get in the way of our relationship. Make no mistake about it. In eternity, we are going to enjoy the happiness of Christ as we live with him. He's the king of kings, new heavens, new earth. We will walk it with Jesus and we will be happy and delighted because he overflows with happiness and delight. So how can God call upon us to rejoice and be glad and to be happy in Christ in this world of evil and sin and terrible things happening in people's lives? Well, one of the ways to be happy is to remember it doesn't mean being happy at every moment. Yes, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice, Paul says. And yes, he's writing in prison and there's a reason for joy even in the midst of adversity. However, there's also room for sorrow. If we realize that God's call to happiness is not a paste on a smiley face type of happiness, but it's Yes, I live in a world of sin and sorrow, and I do face stress, and the people that I love are having serious problems, but there's still an underlying happiness, gladness, joy in things that are eternally secure, my salvation in Christ. God remains who he is. God has a plan for me, and God promises to me that he will cause all things to work together for good to those who love him, to those who are called according to his purpose. That's what Romans 8, 28, and 29 say. And that's in the midst of a passage, Romans 8, on suffering, talking about the whole world longing to be delivered, the whole creation groaning, awaiting the redemption, the resurrection of God's children. 
So knowing this future joy that will be mine forever in the presence of Christ, front-loading it to my life today where I go, it makes a difference how I live today. The same way we anticipate a vacation or a great time or something's coming up, maybe it's a, a wedding or a family reunion, this future reality influences my present state of happiness. Well, the future reality of the new heavens and the new earth and God wiping away the tears from every eye, that should inform our daily living. And furthermore, we can look to the example of Joseph, where Joseph, even in his lifetime, even before dying and going to be with the Lord, could look at his brothers who betrayed him and sold him into slavery when he was a teenager. What they did to him by human standards would be unforgivable, but he looks at them, he forgives them, and he says, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to save many lives, including their own. And he can now look back in retrospect and see God's gracious work. I tell people sometimes, take the worst things that have ever happened in your life, write them down on one side of a piece of paper, and then turn it over, and then write the best things that have ever happened to you on the other side. And what you'll find, and you'll find it more the older you get, is that many of the worst things have brought about a number of the best things. If we take that eternal perspective now and realize it will all be worth it when we're with the Lord, then we can have happiness here and now. 